Welcome to Season 2 of Elevate from Elevation Barn. I'm Ted Guidotti. This season will continue to engage with some of the planet's most curious, generous, and accomplished leaders as they dig in, reach out, and pivot to find their own personal and collective paths of purpose. In each episode, we turn the challenges they face into conversations, and those conversations into clarity. Walt Disney wasn't just an animator. He was a dreamer, an influencer, and a builder of the impossible. He created an entire world from his imagination and asked us all to believe in magic. What was he thinking? Or maybe a better question is, how was he thinking? And how do we capture his way of thinking to help us not just be more creative, but to actually create new, more meaningful, and more magical worlds for ourselves, our families, and our communities? Well, one way is to tap into the minds that help make the magic. Dave Zaboski is a painter, an illustrator, and an animator who, with his own magic wand, has helped bring to life stories like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, Tarzan, The Emperor's New Groove, and Fantasia 2000. In this episode, he literally gives us the keys to creativity, teaching us how he does what he does. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I can't draw and will never be able to draw, you're missing the magic. Because these steps can be applied to anything you set out to do. From building a business, to building a home, to riding a wave, or even raising a family. Dave Zaboski is about to give us a roadmap for creativity. From believing in yourself, to embracing mistakes, to collaborating, to taking risks, and finally, finishing strong. Here's Dave in conversation with fellow barn member, Marisa Scotch, a woman who has created more than a few magical worlds of her own in the fashion industry. All right, so let's kick in. This is one of my favorite sessions. I met both of these friends, uh, Marisa, many moons ago. She's known for Swiss precision and Italian luxury and I guess American practicality, but she's one of the the world's top designers. And so when I was talking with Dave Zabowski about who we should have to navigate a session with him, who than her with a better eye to able to uh, complement and support taking, she's known as as the woman that gets branding and she has this uh, Pacina et al. new brand that's going to be coming out. So watch out for that. But talking with her about Dave's work, she was turned back to being this, this little girl with the inspired pen and pencil of which Dave is an absolute master. So Marisa, thank you in advance for navigating this session with Dave. Forever thankful for you for that. And uh, Dave Zabowski, wow, we met in Montreal many moons ago. We were there for a conference and he was there and uh, he, was, he had his sketch pad out. And I was like, oh, there's, there's another doodling bloke over there in the corner. And um, a friend introduced me to him, a friend, Joel, and I went over to have a look and he said, you must meet this guy, he's spectacular. And in front of him was a real um, illustration of the masters that he'd just taken while at the conference, bringing to life more on paper than the people were on stage. And my wife said to him, oh, I've always wanted to draw, but I can never draw hands. And within 30 seconds, she could. And Dave has become somebody that has a bit of an icon in the design world to me. 
He's a former master illustrator of Disney, Sony, and Warner Brothers. And he's drawn so many classic films that have, we haven't noticed the drawing. I guess that's the perfection of his art. We've not noticed the love and the power of the story from Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Tarzan, uh, all the way through to uh, Fantasia, a classic. And so when we asked Dave, could he come on board uh, to lead a session on drawing and understanding the power of this drawn to perfection that both he and Marisa have, he said he'd love to. He has a new, coming, new company coming out uh, called Lytro, which is going to be an empowerment for artists around the world. And so today, it's a perfect timed opportunity before he gets snowed in this new startup to be able to share some of his wisdom. So I'll pass the baton onto my dearest Marisa. And Dave, in advance, thank you again, sir, for, for making the time, joining us from Los Angeles and, uh, and starting the day off right for us here in Bali. Honored to be here. Well, really honored. Thank you. All right, Marisa, you're on. Okay. It's so nice to be here. Well, thank you so much for organizing this. I feel like your uh, range is pretty spectacular. We've talked about the ocean. Uh, we've talked about business. Uh, we've talked about health and health calamities. We've, we've kind of covered everything with you, but we haven't covered art and drawing yet. And um, it's really just a, a pleasure to be here talking about that. I think we all need that as we head into spring and, and want to imagine what the next chapter of our lives will be like and what better metaphor than drawing. Um, Dave, I had the pleasure of meeting you virtually last week and we had a fantastic chat and tell us what you would like to share with us before we start chatting with you. Well, great. Um, uh, yeah, and what I'd really like to share is kind of notes from the world of the artist. Now, we, um, we draw, but in the process of drawing, there's this, um, there's this uh, nod to turning thoughts into things. And how do we do that at the level of imagination? So that's some of the stuff that I'd like to share today is um, some of my teaching uh, that I've been blessed with. You know, I say to some people sometimes when I start these talks, like, I'm, I'm about to say something in the next hour that you're going to go, oh, my God, I totally knew that. That puts it all together for me. And I know that because the stuff I'm about to share is that happened to me with all of it. So I've just been I, I've had the privilege of working with some incredible masters. So I'm going to share some of that stuff today. OK, we are ready to hear whatever you would like to share with us. OK, fantastic. A little bit of my background, I've done a universe of drawing in my life. After a brief stint in the direction of law, I realized that wasn't a thing that I wanted to do. And so uh, so I pointed my uh, efforts towards art school. I was in this art school called Art Center College of Design in Los Angeles. And from there, I got an internship that was kind of like a project runway type of internship. Uh, they were hiring three people a year at the studio, and there were... 12 or 15 of us from all around the best art schools in the country vying for these three spots. And I ended up getting one of them. I had to kill a few, I had to slit a few throats to get it. That's a line from Aladdin. I didn't really do that. Um, but, uh, but I got one of the spots and, and it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, I, the first movie that I worked on was Beauty and the Beast. As Will said, I, I worked on Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Fantasia, those pictures that are considered the second golden age of animation. And I got hired at Disney because I could draw, but that wasn't enough to be able to, um, 
to execute art at the level of imagination. And so I got these lectures while I was there, part of artist development. But the very first one I got for me made all the difference between being an amateur and being a pro. This talk was about the principles of animation. And so there are principles of animation like silhouette and squash and stretch and charm in your drawing. There's these, these honed principles from decades of incredible artists tinkering with creativity and figuring out how do you create the illusion of life? And so those principles of animation are pretty important, but so are the principles of the animator. And that was the key that really sparked me was it wasn't just about making things, but it was how do you make the maker? And so essentially today, what I want to share with you is that talk that I was given that before I left Disney was the talk that I was giving to other artists um, that were new like me. And I want to share with you kind of a chalk talk. I want you to think about this in terms of kind of the um, shared notes from the world of the artist. Now, we in the art world, we have been turning thoughts into things at the level of imagination for, you know, uh, in an unbroken way in Western civilization for a few hundred years, kind of codifying these systems and processes. And um, one of the things that I'm excited about is that, and why I ended up consulting a lot in the technological fields, was because the artist has two tracks that they follow. They follow both what you might call the cold path or that um, uh, production efficiencies path, but there's also the hot path. Like, does it resonate with human beings? Can you feel it? And so we have to have book practices for both of those at the level of mastery to be able to turn something like a thought into a Tesla or a sculpture, right? And so, so how do we manage both tracks? How do we find practices for both the production efficiencies and how emotion works in creativity? And so, so th this is like notes from the world of art. How you might apply these to the things that you do, I think that that's where we're gonna meet. You have your own systems and practices. I'm gonna share with you some from my world. They're not better or worse, but they're, they're codified in ways that might catalyze for you how to consolidate some of the things that you already know and accelerate them. So that's kind of the, the mission here is to share notes from the world of artists. So before I started at Disney, I was at Art Center. I was a good artist. This is how my creativity was. It was sort of a, um, a random bunch of experiences that were more positive than negative. And the negative ones somehow didn't wash out the positive ones. Sometimes I say more artists, more great creators have been ruined by art teachers than any other source on the planet. You know, you have a, a, a negative experience um, and then you didn't create the thing that you said you were going to create. We have this magnificent capacity for imagination and these imperfect tools. And, and we, we often don't make exactly the thing that we were thinking of. It doesn't look quite like it, or we get criticized by it, or we have some something that we fall into this gap and we, you know, I don't know, we, 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 we can be destructive. I think that it's part of where you might find the self-destructiveness of the creator who says that if only I could create the thing that I have in my heart and mind. And so, 
there were a lot of creators going through the animation industry. There were stories of guys who couldn't get off of their chair because they were so drunk, but they could animate like a fiend. There was damage in my ecosystem from these things. So there was always artists looking how to tinker. Can we find ways to create it at deeper and deeper levels that are more and more healthy and balanced? And so, so instead of thinking about things like this, instead of a random meander and a lucky collection of experiences, could we be more systematic about how we approach our own creative process? Could we create with the same energies that make the world flourish? Could we create with the same energies that, you know, the way I say it in a maybe poetic way is that the same energies that run the universe, that pull massive stars through the emptiness of space, that drag impossibly small particles through the infinite densities of the earth without touching them, the same energies that make a rose bloom or a cactus grow. Could we create that way? And if we did, we might approach our creative process differently. We might approach it in the same way that the universe does. And so could we create with those same thoughts in mind, that same energy? And if, now, when I first saw this as a young animator at Disney, I was like, oh, wait a second, that, that there might be something there. And so I started to explore it more and more and realized this can be kind of a creator's map. Like this becomes a place for me to start to think about my creativity instead of some random collection of lucky coincidences. Could I start to cultivate things? Could I build my thought with some systematic approach, even though there's an emotional and a, uh, a spontaneous approach to it? So this is a schematic. It's not, uh, you know, it's not hard and fast. We like to say that this stuff is written on water. But when I look at this, I start to think, okay, well, what do I need to cultivate to be able to turn this thought into a thing? And the first thing that an artist, that a creator needs to do, and I would say like the way I put this is that creators, creators have to cultivate practices in these five areas to be able to really cultivate mastery. Now there's 10, there's 15. These are the five I use right now because they just make sense to me and I can remember them without having to make like a anagram for them or something else that takes me farther away from them. So this is how I manage my creative processes. I know that if I'm going to start at this thought and I'm going to end at this thing, that one of the things that I have to do first is I have to believe. So creators believe. I have to figure out some practices so that I know how to believe and I can get the people on my team to believe. So belief has all kinds of practices. The first practice that we really talk about is story. I'm just going to go pretty shallow on this. I want you to, 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 you guys know this already, like this stuff goes all the way down. A practice at the deepest level is a ritual. And that ritual has a spiritual component that is uh, inexorable from the practice itself. So when we talk about practices, we talk about practices, but the practices go all the way down. So today we're going to skim this rock across the surface of this. Creators believe. There's a saying, it's kind of manipulative, but it says you can get anybody to do anything you want them to do as long as the thing that you want them to do is the thing that they want to do. So how do you do that? You tell a compelling story. You tell a story that's so big that they can see themselves in it. It's also really powerful to eliminate a kind of ego. If you can tell a story like the story you guys are telling at Elevation Barn, this kind of kindred quest that we're on, 
this place where we can take our hero's journey and play at something bigger than just me and my heroism. You know, at Disney, some of the best artists in the world subsumed their egos because the story we were telling was bigger than them. And so believe, creators believe. Um, the second thing to remember, and this for me is where this is actually a full on map, is the creators iterate. I'm not gonna make my first line my last line. I'm gonna allow the creative process to unfold in its organic way, the same way a flower bl blooms. You know, a, a flower that's not getting enough bees doesn't say, man, F this, let's break this whole flower thing down and we're gonna start over with the redesign. Like they add a little bit of thing over here, they add a little thing over here and the next thing you know, you've got a flower, right? And so, that's how creativity works. Can we allow the unfolding of something? And I might even describe it further. And let's say that I'm going to do a little drawing. People say the devil is in the details, and I totally disagree. I think the divine is in the details. It just depends on when you do the details. If you're going around this circle here, if you're going around the spiral, and you start in here trying to do the details first, yeah, that's going to be hell. But there's a place where you build a drawing or a painting and you get to the place where every stroke has everything in it and it's amazing it's practically orgasmic you throw down a a, a paint stroke and everything vibrates on your canvas oh that was amazing another one oh it's great even now like you get better at it because in digital painting you have an undo so if you hit something that's not quite perfect you're like yeah undo um i was painting in my sketchbook the other day and I found myself wanting to pinch the sketchbook to zoom in on it. I was like, oh wait, no, this is analog. Um, you can, you know, like there's tools that you use that you, I'm, you know, anyway. But the idea of the iteration is this, is, is a way to phase things up so that um, you allow for the victories and you can eliminate the defeats. You know, somebody looked at my sketchbook once and they were like, oh my God, there's 50 amazing drawings in your sketchbook, Dave, how do you do it? And I say, you start with a hundred pages, you know, like I'm not afraid to throw a page out. Like if I have a drawing that doesn't work, I, I don't keep it around. And so um, creators iterate. The, the next one I want to cover is that uh, creators, you know, we, we realize that the things that we create, if they're going to be bigger than us, then we have to figure out how to collaborate. At Disney, we learned pretty quickly that you can't be negatively critical to somebody when they're creating. And I think part of it is because we do use uh, the whole, this whole magnificent tool of our humanness to create. So if I'm, if I'm going to um, get told that I suck, I'm gonna lose the whole emotional side of my capacity to create. And when we put noise into that part of the creative channel, then it, it imbalances us. And so when we collaborate, we have to learn how to be additive to each other. And at, at Disney, they had this term called plussing. To plus someone um, is to be in service of the trajectory of the idea. So to collaborate is to plus. And it wasn't jargon at Disney. It was something that we used a hundred times a day. You might go, you know, I might go to an animator and say, hey, can you plus this? And then we would enter into this um, trajectory conversation. We thought that 
ideas were creatures. We were animators. It was our job to breathe life, to animate something, to bring it into being. And so we had to listen carefully for its breathing. And we did that only by being additive to it. Um, you can't tell somebody that the idea is bad. We see this in other practices like the yes and. I'm sure you've all heard of yes and, right? Like yes and is a practice that you see in the movie business, in improvisational theater and in um, acting work because we see it because it's the best practice for keeping something moving forward and um, and accelerating a trajectory. So, uh, so to plus someone is to be in a trajectory conversation. Where has it been? Where is it going? And where are you now? And so that way opinions stay out of it and expertise comes in. That's where we can use our emotional guidance system to coin a phrase, for, to borrow a phrase that's been coined. Um, our emotional guidance system becomes useful because we're not just talking about us and my opinion, we're talking about the idea in service to that emotion. How do you want this thing to feel? And so that's a really critical piece that we can get consensus on. I want this thing to feel like springtime. Okay, well, what does springtime feel like? And we can get a consensus and we can track our efficiencies on that consensus as much as we can track a spreadsheet on how we're doing on budget. Like how does this feel is a, is a proper statement in a healthy creative environment. So creators, they learn how to collaborate. They learn how to plus each other. And I will tell you when that happens, it is so much fun because one of the things that we learned is that the fastest accelerant to excellence, the fastest accelerant to excellence is generous collaboration. Like you want to be good at something. You want to be great at something. Learn how to play nice, learn how to share and be shared with. You know, when we teach, we codify those things that we've learned in ways that make it, you know, accessible to other people. And so, uh, so it was super fun there. You know, people were plussing each other all over the place. It's one of the things that I'm excited about. And I don't mean this as a pitch, but it's something that I'm really jazzed about with Lytro. This thing that we're building is, uh, is a platform for a community of artists to help them with their small businesses. But at the same time, we're building a community of artists and we do tutorials. We have Monday night calls. Tonight's call, um, and I don't know if Archer probably had to jump off because she's going to help me on the call. Uh, tonight, all the artists are coming together to say, what are my favorite tricks in Procreate? Uh, last week, I did a, another, I did a tutorial like Will was talking about on hands. We've done tutorials on composition. What makes a composition? We artists, we, we creators inside of a frame are, um, we have honed skills to grab attention. What are those skills? How do we grab attention? How do you keep somebody inside of a composition? What are the systems and practices for that? So that community of sharing, I think, is, is really exciting, and it's a way to accelerate. You see it in um, uh, Goyon Rotang uh, in Southeast Asia, this idea that we're in it together. You see it in Ubuntu. It's an it's a Indonesian phrase. Well, I think it's Goyon Rotang, right? Something like that. Um, this idea that you're in right now, this kindred quest, this place where it says that I had this thought too, like we do this thing in my, in my uh, group of artists, tell me, tell us your secrets. 
Not tell me your secrets, but tell us your secrets. Why? Because if I said, tell me your secrets, you'd be like, I don't know, what, what's in it for me if I tell you my secrets? It's just you and me. But if I say, tell us your secrets, well, what's in it for you to tell us your secrets? Our secrets, right? Like that is an accelerant that really is exciting to me. So, um, so uh, creators collaborate. The fourth thing is that creators risk. They understand that because we're using this um, collection of data gathering systems, some of which are spreadsheet friendly and some of which are not, the qualitative and a quantitative approach to our creativity, um, we, we understand that risk, risk is a super powerful opportunity for data collection. We know risk is happening because we feel it in that intangible place, that place of quality. And we know that when risk is available, it's an opportunity to get information, to build trust. So practices for risk are super important because when a high stakes risk happens, you're ready for it. And so risk is an opportunity to build trust. And that's done in a bunch of different ways. It's done in incremental ways from the micro to the macro. The micro might be, I build risk by using a pen when I draw. I build risk by saying, hey, maybe I'll do a quick little rough portrait of Will on this talk instead of doing some generic thing that Will and a bunch of folks on this call have already seen before. And they go, oh yeah, he just does that all the time. Like risk is me um, understanding that I'm gonna use a pen in my sketchbook because the pen is unforgiving and I have to make a mark that has some boldness in it. And when I learn how to have some boldness in a mark on a pen, then I can use I can use that to extrapolate boldness into a drawing, then boldness into a painting, then boldness into how I live my life. You know, there are incremental changes. I don't have to start bold tomorrow. Now, I think it's important to understand that if you're if you're butting up against your growth edges, that's enough. Like you don't have to take three steps away from where you are. You just have to go against your growth edge and know that that's enough. Um, and everybody's growth edge is different. So you have yours, love it the way you need to. Um, so that leads me to the last thing that is important for creators. Creators, they complete. The most powerful creators, they complete, they finish strong. And when you do, that strong finish becomes the story that you can now tell to help belief. And I, I might say, I might say that we are, we as humans, as we move through space, we are a collection of the stories we tell ourselves and others of our completions and our incompletions. And so practices for completion are incredibly powerful. And especially as they tend towards ritual, you know, you might not have a dad around anymore to tell the thing you need to tell to be complete about it. So how do you complete when people aren't there for that kind of completion? There are practices for that sort of thing. There are practices for completing every story in your life that's incomplete. Some of them are just that that was yesterday and I declare it so, that's a practice. Um, uh, when we can, uh, yeah, the other thing I wanna say is practices at, for completion at the level of ritual are the practices of enlightened masters. Like if you can be complete in every moment, 
there are practices that people live that way, that they are complete in every moment. And that is probably enlightenment. So completion, especially for us creators, is super important because of all of those things. We have a lot of ideas. We're always bubbling and that's exciting. And uh, we don't always finish something in the way that finishes it strong. Um, sometimes it doesn't have to, you know, there's this famous quote that says it takes two people to finish a painting, one person to paint it and the other person to tell them when to, to tell them to just knock it off, right? Like a painting isn't finished, it's abandoned. Those are, you know, things we hear about it. But not always true, you know, I mean, it's just about, um, you know, I think about those paintings in the, in the museum, you know, they're, they're not abandoned, they're fully intentionally done. And when, you know, sometimes it's a surprise, you drop that last stroke in there and you go to make the next one. And you're like, wow, okay. And then you go to make the, no, I don't really, no. and then you step back for a minute and you think, damn, I just finished this thing. I just guess I want to reiterate that it's an important thing for us artists and, um, and having practices that you can share with other artists is really important. It's kind of why I teach this stuff because I forget it. And when I do, you can remind me. Um, and I think really the last thing that I want to say is why I'm so excited about sharing this stuff with creators. Now, you know, some of this, I think all of this stuff you all probably already know. Maybe it hasn't been put in this same form before. Um, uh, so hopefully that's something that helps. I trust it is. And, uh, and that this idea that we can co-create more powerfully than we can when we're singular, this idea that we can use practices from various different methodologies to come together. It doesn't matter if you're a dancer or a mathematician or an artist, there are some metas around the idea of turning thoughts into things. And I will say just kind of in closing here um, that Every great crisis this earth has ever known has been solved by profound acts of creativity, acts of creativity that happened before we even got here. The mitochondria in a cell has a different DNA. That was a collaborative act that allowed the cell to live a little bit longer, to get a little bit more food, to gather a little bit more information, to become us so we could take a handful of dirt and send it to another planet where they can actually send information back to us. I mean, what incredibly profound acts of creativity are now possible when we work together. And the crisis that we face in our time right now are kind of unprecedented. And so, so can we come together with profound acts of creativity in this kindred quest that we're in together to be able to, to solve and expand and enjoy the, the this precious spectacular planet that we're all spinning on. And so I guess I just want to say thank you to everybody for, um, for letting me share this stuff. This is stuff that's been very important to me. And I find that it's useful for us who are turning thoughts into things. The more, cl the more closely you brilliant people can get to having your imagination manifest, the better this world is going to be that I'm sure of. So um, that's, that's all I got on that talk. That's kind of the, the chalk talk for um, the Creative Keys. Thank you. Amazing. That was great. Thank you, yeah, Dave. So Dave, um, a bunch of questions have, have come in and trying to get to um, a few people, if possible. Sh shorter um, answers? Fair enough. 
I, I'm, <laughs> um, or we can we can extend this for another three days, which I'm sure would work for many of us. <laughs> it's, it's endless. You know, let me just say, like Dave at Lytro, uh, L A E T R O uh, dot com. Dave at Lytro dot com. That's my email. If you have some stuff that you want to chat about, I mean, yeah, I, let's have a conversation because this is my thoughts on this stuff. It's not written. It's written in water. So, um, you know, you all are masterful creators in your own right. Let's compare notes. Um, there's a, a question from Brett. Brett, I thought maybe you could just ask directly. Um, you you were talking about getting stuck, essentially. So we want to take over and, and ask in your own words. Sure, I'd be happy to. Dave, that was really amazing. And I particularly love your psychedelic use of language that really inspires the spirit. I'm sure all of us are feeling you know, artier than when we started off uh, this morning or this evening or wherever we're listening. Uh, my, my question to you is around analysis paralysis. Um, and particularly where, uh, you know, the creative process of turning thought into a thing, if you're in the um, innovation startup world, um, you know, in, in our case, um, you know, wanting to make impact in the world where, uh, you know, we know we need to regenerate our forests, we need to regenerate our rivers. And there's this incredible analysis paralysis where, you know, no one, it's, they're struggling to really get moving until we've figured out a way to make a buck out of it. And so we've got to tell a different type of story. Uh, but I just wanted to ask you about analysis paralysis and how you how you, you inspire people to deal with that, to start off with the end in mind without actually being able to see the end. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times that amounts in some places to perfectionism or the idea that um, we have to have everything in play before we move. Um, uh, I sort of think about, let's see if I can make this pretty brief. I sort of think about... Uh, um, because it's also sort of, it's almost attached to being blocked in create in, in your creative process as well. Um, the, the way I sort of think about this is um, uh, uh, that spiral is powered by the ideas of hot and cold. And so hot and cold are my, my, uh, my, my boundaries for my thought process as I'm creating. And let me explain that more clearly. So I might be doing a portrait and I would look at this, my model, and I would say, oh my God, look at how beautiful his cheekbones are, the red of his cheek moving into this kind of violet of his one day beard, moving into the red again of his neck, you know? And, and, um, and then I would go, and his uh, zygomatic arch that moves into the sternocleidomastoid muscle coming into the clavicle, right? So I have this hot side that's like, oh my God, it's delicious. And then I have this cold side that says, you know, what are the, the technical aspects to it? What is the, what is the spreadsheet and what is the feeling? What's the hot and what's the cold? And when I'm in process of creating something, that is all I have to worry about. I'm not worried about its final production. I'm not worried about where it goes. If I can find a balance right, between my hot and my cold and know that I don't go off the rails, there's this beautiful, I know I'm getting into a long answer now, but there's a beautiful Hafiz quote that says, the vintage artist no longer breaks the easels and jade with the mind's hammer, but keeps on sculpting light, right? Like I don't go into my mind and I get so hot that I get mad at something. When I start to get hot on something, I go, well, wait, what's the cold? Can I use that coal to bring it back? Why am I doing this? How much am I getting paid for this? Oh yeah, that's great. And then I get bored or I get, you know, 
on the cold side where I'm like, oh, why am I doing this? <gasps> because I love this guy's cheekbones. That's right. You know, and then I go back to that way. And then I kind of can go back and forth, right? And so if I can allow myself that oscillation, then now we're talking about flow, not about being blocked. And, and even flow is kind of bullshit because once I start oscillating between hot and cold, I have this oscillation that happens so fast that every stroke has everything in it. That zygomatic, beautiful violet coming into the, like all of it's in the same stroke. That oscillation is my flow. And I don't even remember my first name and I don't care because I'm managing this. I'm managing my hot and cold. And sometimes, especially at the beginning of that spiral, it's very distinct. Here's what we love about it. Let's make the list of why we're doing it. So, so that hot and cold, and I've broken my share of brushes and easels and jade to be able to learn this. But as I mature as an artist, I get to figure out what's that edge of that hot. And then I come back and what's that edge of the cold. And I play into that oscillation. Is that a helpful answer? Yes, it is actually. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful metaphor. Thank you. All right, good. Um, looks like Mark has a really great question. Um, Mark, may I ask you to ask it? Yes, yes, you may. Thank you, and and thanks, Dave. This is uh, this has been fantastic. So uh, my question is, um, um, I guess I'll preface it by saying I'm I'm always um, deeply admiring and and also extremely jealous of people like yourself who can create beauty. Mine, mine stops at a stick figure on a surfboard. That, that's about it. So I think my creativity, as is a number of people here, tends to be in ideas and, and words. And you've also got a, a beautiful like turn of phrase. So I'm just wondering, for those people who, um, who maybe are not as um, uh, visually artistic, um, what are ways that you would recommend that they continue to, to, to cultivate their own creativity that doesn't have the kind of the same visual output as an artist has um well i uh you know everybody creativity is our birthright so you know everybody has the capacity to create you figure out what it is that you want to bring into the world there are some really good books like julia cameron's the artist way is an amazing book for creators. There's just a bunch of great practices in there. Um, I think the first place to start is that, what's the story you're telling yourself? And so what story do you wanna believe in? And then when you say, I am a powerful, amazing creator, then you start listening to the world for powerful, amazing tips to help you create. And so, there are, there are a ton of practices. You, you, there are masters in your profession. There's something that they say in martial arts, there's always a higher mountain. So there's no ego. There's always somebody better. There's Michelangelo and Kim Jong-ji. Kim Jong-ji, guy's amazing. Um, he's a living artist. Um, so, uh, you know, we all have our practices. I think that, you know, compare notes, uh, find communities. Um, Immerse yourself. There's uh, Baudelaire, enivrez-vous, de vin, de vertu. Uh, I don't care what it is. Is it for wine? You get drunk on it. That's what he's saying. He says, get drunk. Get drunk on virtue. Get drunk on wine. I don't care what you get drunk on, but let yourself get drunk on it. Fantastic. Thank you. I will, I will open a bottle of creativity straight away. 
right? For you kids, that's get drunk on virtue. Okay? <laughs> Stay in school. Dave, um, speaking of, of pollination, there's a lot of interest in um, other forms of digital art, including the sale of digital art. There was a big sale for, for a digitally made um, work recently. So actually, um, it looks like Dinara has a really great question about cryptocurrency and art. Um, Dinara, may I ask you to ask directly? Um yeah, so Dave, I'm not sure if you know this latest trends, but I think you heard that a lot of people are creating these blockchains and cryptocurrency platforms and they sell the art and digital arts uh, for millions of dollars. And these people sometimes they don't have, a, you know, as um, the background as youth, um, what do you think about that? What do you think about selling arts uh, for millions of dollars to millions of people for, um, you know, in in few seconds, just because of the um, technology that is available right now. Right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna because this is super new. So you're talking about NFTs, uh, non fungible tokens. Um, yeah. Uh, guys like Beeple being able to make sixty nine million dollars on a piece of art, and all of that stuff's a little bit of a distraction. And I want to step out into a little bit more maybe philosophical conversation about this and. Um, and share with you my thoughts on it, because I'm going pretty deep on this. I, we've got the best artists in the world on the Lytro platform and NFTs and systems for being able to distribute content and creative um, are super important. And so here's how I look at this. There are two kinds of stories. There's a story from the, the West that's Greek, and there's a story from the East that's Japanese. In the Greek story, we have the ship of Theseus, right? We just saw a bunch of stuff on this in the last um, uh, episode of uh, WandaVision, right? The ship of Theseus, this, the story goes, is that um, this ship was dredged up uh, a thousand years ago. It's been in uh, museums for the last several hundred years and slowly because of degradation to the physical materials, the entire ship has been replaced over time. So there's not a single board on that ship that exists from the boat that Theseus was running around the seas with, okay? Does that ship, is that still his boat? Is it still the ship of Theseus? I think it's Theseus. I might be wrong. Let's just say for the sake of argument, it's Theseus, right? So um, is that the ship of Theseus or is it a facsimile of the ship? In the West, we would say, yeah, it's not the ship anymore. In the East, there's a church pagoda, a spiritual building that's been there for a thousand years. It's burned down 16 times. It's been knocked over by three different kind of warring factions. It's been rebuilt every single time. If you ask the people there, is it the same church? Is it the same pagoda? They would say yes, because in the East, the idea is, is just as valid as the object. In the East, the church itself, the pagoda itself occupies a conscious space without consciousness that that building would not be there. And so it is just as easy to accept that it, it holds a conscious space as much as it holds a physical space. Just like the ship itself was a conscious construct of Theseus. So that conscious space still exists even if the pieces to it aren't there. In the West, are we ready to think about things like that? Well, that's one of the stories that I think is changing, that the second that we went off the gold standard, we started to dive, diverge from the idea that matter has to have representational matter in order to matter. We have this conception, the story that we tell ourselves in the world is that matter matters. Atoms are the building blocks of life. Everything is made of those building blocks. 
and quantum stuff is kind of too far from my everyday for me to really figure out how to infuse it into my conception of reality. So I'm going to stick with matter mattering. So if matter matters and only matter matters, the more matter I get, the more I matter. And then we stop there. So the ship is just, it's not a ship because it's not his ship anymore. But if that story changes, if that story changes to allow for consciousness, because frankly, any theory about how the world is constructed or the universe is built that doesn't have consciousness in it is not complete because it takes consciousness to do the math. So if we start changing the story to include things that are non-tangible, to include the conscious space that something holds, we do that all the time with love. We do that all the time with other things in our lives. The conscious space is real. It's just not matter. And so for me, this whole NFT, the blockchain, all of these things, I think when I look at it in those terms, I think we're seeing immature manifestations of it. And, you know, money is one of those things. I've got all of this access to matter, so I must matter. So now this art matters. But I think what's really exciting about it to me is that it represents a shift in the story of what we find valuable. And that to me, I think is really exciting. That is cataclysmic. That is like this thing that's happening now is as important as going off the gold standard. This is the moment when we're now saying that this thing that's digital, that holds no physical space, holds a conscious space that has value to me. And that's okay. That's okay to say that this sketch that I make a digital copy of is the first thing that I ever made a digital copy of to make it as an NFT. There's only one that holds this conscious space and that has value. And so that's kind of my long answer for that. But I think that there's something exciting yet immature about it. And we're watching it very carefully um, because there's that exciting story shift in it. So that's how I would... Thank you. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks. Dave, that's that's just a, a perfect segue, I think, uh, in a way, for for me to maybe lead us towards the end of our time with you by uh, invoking a, a particular elevation barn tradition, which is that after we have indulged ourselves in this incredibly inspiring evening and been able to connect, um, I'll pose the question on behalf of everybody, what can we as um, members of the Elevation Barn community do to plus uh, you in your life? Wow. Well, that's a really exciting question. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, we, we're building this business. We're building this business, Lytro, which is on-demand illustration for content for the web. It's much like Lyft for artists. And we will have the the best artists in the entertainment and animation industry as part of our platform it's built in you can go to lightro.com right now uh, l-a-e-t-r-o.com and see a landing page uh, we are beta testing right now the artist onboarding so if you would like to be a beta tester on this um, you can send me an email uh, we are going to launch in mid-april and we'll probably be like a uh, going live kind of thing rather than a big launch, but we're aggregating um, companies who need bespoke customized story driven illustration with 
the finest artists in the world that only the studios in the past have ever had access to. And um, basically it's like, there's a buyer channel and admin channel and an artist channel, and we're running the admin channel, aggregating on the artist side, these incredible artists who will use our platform to be able to um, manage their small business as an artist. We have a bunch of collaborative projects that we're working on with all these artists. We're an aggregator of, of incredible art. And then on the other side, if you're a company, I guess there's kind of a couple things. If you know or are an artist who would like to play with us, send me a note and I can share more. If you're a company that would like customized illustration um, to help tell your story, then uh, that's the service that we're, that we're creating. Um, when we launch, we're gonna be able to scale this. Right now, I'm about this close to firing the ops guy because he just doesn't really know what he's doing. And full disclosure, it's me. <laughs> so, so right now we're a startup and I'm doing all the ops and, um, and uh, uh, we're about to have our first hire. We're funded. Um, so that's really exciting. We're moving into beta test. And so, um, you know, stay tuned to, to Lytro if there's something in there that you see we can be of service. Um, bringing great art into the world, then, um, then yeah, that's the that's the place I'm playing right now that I'm really excited about. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. We will definitely be following you. Amazing, man! The brilliance of the thinking there. I've learned so much today, and um, I was pinging with my team saying, "Right, I'm starting from scratch. I'm going to fire the operator as well." Uh, just your understanding, even the parameters of hot and cold, just those basic elements, the, the nature of plussing, uh, oscillation being more in, important than flow. You've sort of uh, transformed so many people's thoughts tonight, and I'm really indebted to your wisdom and your thought. And so behind what you're doing with your new business, we're fully behind to support you in, in any capacity, my friend. So thank you so much for tonight. I mean, I, I'm super honored to be here. Well, I'm, you know, these are gifts that were given to me that I'm passing on. So when I forget them, you remind me. And if I'm not around, share them. And I, and I want to call out um, my friend, Joel, who yeah. plus this evening, because if it wasn't for him thinking about how you could benefit more lives and plusing him um, by saying, you got to meet this guy, he's incredible. We, I don't know how it fits in, but you've got to meet him. That is a, a true essence of what plussing is in life, is sharing that contribution. So thanks, Brother Joel. Yeah. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Dave. Thanks a lot, Dave. Oh, it's amazing to hear you, Dave. That's great to see you. I miss you guys. I miss you, man. Marisa, you are a, a legend in your own right and so humble in just navigating another legend uh, so beautifully. So thank you for this evening. It's totally enlightening. Such a pleasure. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Marie. All right, lots of love. Take care, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Thanks mate. Cheers. Thank Bye. you. Dave Zabowski isn't the only artist in the business of bringing magical worlds to life. Join us for Elevate Season 2, Episode 11, with B.D. Wolf, a pioneering musical artist who's creating experiences for the eyes, ears, mind, and heart.